The Grim Drive podcast explores mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. Pro athletes come forward more and more with stories about their mental health journey, what they have endured, and how they manage to push through, reflecting a mental health stigma that continues to be reduced. Pro athletes also leverage mindset to achieve peak performance, as well as representing and often driving elements of popular culture through the use of social media, technology, and personal branding. This places athletes front and center as role models for people of all ages, giving them a platform to reach many and deliver important information, including information about mental health. Welcome to the Grim Drive Podcast, where we explore mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. My name is Jonathan Busfield, and joined here, as always, by John Cuna. Today, we're going to be discussing mental health and education. So, in a lot of these episodes, we talk about the importance of, you know, athletes, pro athletes, athletes all over the, the globe kind of opening up about mental health, and a huge part, a huge piece of the puzzle when it comes to solving, you know, mental health, uh, I would say the mental health epidemic that's kind of going on, uh, is opening up, and is being self-aware, and is talking uh, to a professional, talking to the people that you love and trust, um, but we talked a lot about proactive the proactive aspects or the prehab aspects of mental health and how that is equally if not more important when it comes to maintaining good mental health and i think mental health education is a huge piece of that right it's not just about um, wait till something happens open up right that's that that is better than not opening up right when it gets to that point but there are steps you can take much earlier on to become aware of these things become self-aware um become aware about your emotions about emotions in general what that means um because that type of learning, that type of awareness can prevent a lot of these issues from happening. And I know prevention is a tough sell for a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, in, in physical medical care and mental health care and in general. But it is key. And I think what, what you put in from a prehab perspective, you will get out times, what, 5, 10, 10x kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we thought it'd be good to talk about mental health education a little bit. So I'll kind of let you kind of go to town on this, John, in terms yeah. of you know what your thoughts are in general when it comes to the topic of mental health education and the overlap between mental health and education, whether it's from a school perspective or that kind of thing. Yeah. So I'll start by saying sort of a little bit of a disclaimer because, you know, we talked about, um, you know, mental health in certain cultures or certain places is sort of like a a privilege. And there are certain school districts that don't have as much of a luxury to be able to incorporate this type of stuff Mm -hmm. when they've got kids coming in who are hungry or they've got kids coming in who, you know, they're, they're homeless or Mm -hmm. they've got all these different things. Right. So, um, I'd say that there are, there is the, there is a luxury component to this. And I just wanted to make sure that I just mentioned yeah. that, um, it doesn't mean that it's an excuse to not have it present at the schools, mm-hmm. but the incorporation of it is, can look a little bit different. So, um, a little bit about my background. I was in schools for almost 10 years, um, two different worlds, I guess I'll call them. One was an inner city at the Jackson Mann school, which is a K through eight regional school. So it pulled kids from all over That's in Boston, in Boston, yeah. um, in Austin. Um, and then I also worked in Lexington, which is quite frankly, two polar opposites of mm-hmm. worlds, um, two very different things. Um, and mental health conversations weren't really, I mean, education wise, like teaching kids about it was much more of a siloed practice when I was working in Boston. It was very firefighter esque. The kids got a crisis, kids got a problem, kids got something coming up, family member died, tragic death, sickness, illness, homelessness, whatever. Um, 
you know, I know you were you were giving me some crap about the the systems piece, but I did a lot of social work systems work okay, when I was working okay. in Boston, so I'll give a little credence <laughs> to that. Um, but that that sort of what that work looked like. It was much more about finding basic needs for kids so that they could yep. even be available mm-hmm. to learn. So that was a little bit that was an uphill battle for there, but looked a little bit different. So in one in one respects, it's much more about just providing the supports for kids to be able to come to school to learn, and less about Let's formulate curriculum to help educate and teach kids about the importance of your identifying your feelings, emotional regulation, whatever it happens mm-hmm. to be. So um, it was a little bit different work there. And then switching into Lexington, which is a much more affluent town, much more privileged, there was – the kids weren't as – you know, in need of homeless, you know, shelter or food or things mm-hmm. like that. Those needs were met and we did have availability to sort of construct curriculum. Um, and I was a part of that. We rolled out a K through um, a K through eight curriculum um, that we helped to design. It was two lessons per class per year, um, which is a great start. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful start going in there. We started with feeling ID in kindergarten. We did like, you know, I statements with kids or, you know, it, bugging a wish, which it bugs me when you do this. I wish you would do that. We came up with all this really great stuff, um, a lot of good resources. And I think it's a great start. However, I do feel that it was more of like, we want this to be a part of our curriculum, but I don't know if doing two lessons a year is sufficient. Mm -hmm. I think this type of, this type of learning and this type of education needs to be integrated into everyday function. Um, and that's a piece that I think that schools could really do some reform around, um, and it being not, you know, okay, yeah, we had our, we had our feeling ID talk, you know, in September and now it's, you know, March and kids have completely lost that knowledge and we're not doing really anything to sort of systematically go. And then now I'm just working with the individuals who struggle, you know, Mm -hmm. and I just don't know if it's a sustainable piece, um, I will also say that I've worked with some of the best people ever, uh, both at Jackson Man and at Bridge Elementary. Shout out to both. Um, with unbelievable support staff, counselors, teachers, things like that. And one thing that was really evident is that, and this can be a conversation that we can have, is like, where's the line with what schools are responsible for doing and upholding yeah, all yeah. the time? I think schools are a really easy dumping ground. And then on that, Teachers are mm-hmm. a really easy dumping ground. Mm-hmm. And so is the expectation that teachers are now therapists, right? And they have to be therapists to yeah. work with kids. I don't think so. I think that that puts too much on the teachers. They already have lost, you know, the flexibility to do, to be creative in classrooms because there's like very systematic curriculum. Mm-hmm. They get, they're being taught like be creative, but follow the curriculum, mm-hmm. do this, mm-hmm. but also do this. Mm-hmm. And then now all of a sudden they've got to be therapists it's yeah. too much. Um, so I don't think that the burden, you know, lies on teachers to have to do that work. However, I do think that a lot of education, psychoed around things to look out for, ways to de-escalate, ways to support, you know, that's different, stuff different, that different things. Know. Yep. And yep. that's the stuff yep. that I think that teachers can really be yep. doing. Not that Similar they need to coaches to, that we talked about. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like give them the education and skills of how to work with, with different kids and different profiles and different behaviors, what to look out for um, and things like that. Like one that I <laughs> I worked in elementary school um, and a lot of, you know, when they would do creative writing time, a lot of young guys would write about war or they'd write about weapons or they'd write about, you know, that type of stuff or violence and things like that. And I would 
all the time. Teachers coming into my my office worried. being like, I'm really worried. <laughs> he just drew a picture of a war and a gun and yeah, I don't know what to yeah, do. Yeah. And it's like, well, I know. And then just giving them education of like, that's a developmentally appropriate conversation and thought for kids, for, for young guys specifically yeah, yeah. to have. Yep. They're curious about war. They're curious about weaponry. And we'd go through like, here's the threshold that you should be concerned about. We start talking about like dismemberment or mm-hmm. over gore or mm-hmm. things like mm-hmm. that. That's that's a different conversation. Yeah, yeah. But curiosity around weapons is, is a normal, yep. typical developmental mm-hmm. thing. Or roughhousing with guys on the playground. Typical, normal, yeah. right? And here's the threshold. So I think in terms of like mental health support and, and and education, I think, yes, I think we could do more to bump up the curriculum for kids. But I, I definitely think that where it would be most, most useful would be education of the teachers. Mm-hmm. And again, this is one of those harder conversations because like professional development is always like a roll your eyes conversation when you're working in schools like oh we got to go to professional development about Mm -hmm. this and i can very easily see like this being one of those things particularly for more like veteran teachers who have been doing this for 30 years and then someone coming in there telling them how to do their job Mm -hmm. can rub people the wrong way um but i think that that's a i think that's probably the most beneficial place to start with incorporating um mental health education in schools is to educate teachers on how to incorporate it in a day-to-day so even if you see a kid who's de-escalated, help them identify that, 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 they're, that they're that way and then provide the feedback of what they could do and then the wraparound, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of times it's like go to the principal's office, right? Yeah. Or like go for a walk, get out of here, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's typically how those behaviors are managed mm-hmm. in schools. There are, that's a massive generalization. There are teachers who yeah. are wonderful and able to sort of keep that kid in the room and do the work. So again, a generalization. But I think that I don't think teachers would be against learning more skills of how to help manage their kids so that they can stay in the classroom and do more learning. So I think in terms of that, I think that's probably the best the best approach mm-hmm. um, of how to incorporate more mental health education is to start with the teachers so that they can be teaching the by both modeling but also just how to how to manage those things in the day to day. Yeah, and I think you, the the thing you just said at the end there is kind of um, one thing I want to touch on because it's there's multiple ways to teach, multiple ways to learn, yeah. right? And I think We've, we're going to talk a little bit more about the overall school schedule, sports, and just how loaded these kids' schedules are. But like the I talk, you listen, you retain and memorize sort of format of learning. I think that a lot of kids are getting enough of that, right? So, And it's not, like you said, it's not really fair to expect teachers to now become mental health experts and be able to impart that knowledge no and way. a whole new mental health curriculum on top of the curriculum they're already learning right. onto kids. We're just expecting and asking too much for a whole variety of reasons, least of, not the least of which is, is how much they're getting paid and other things like that. Um, so, not yeah, I agree with you. I think it'd be a, um, you know how you convey the, the right type of learning to teachers, definitely going to be a challenge, right? Because that continuing ed kind of thing does get an eye roll. So, I think mm-hmm. they'd have to be creative with how they uh, impart that kind of uh, knowledge or, or structure to, to teachers on the whole. Um, but I agree. I think it's l- probably less about teachers. Um, talking at students and much more about equipping them with, you know, harm reduction uh, and conflict resolution and communication, right? Mm-hmm. And then just handling issues as they come up as a guide, um, knowing that they don't have to educate. Because I think, look, like you said, two lessons a year, probably not enough. And even if there was that many or more, you know, kids, especially of young ages, again, they're trying to memorize a lot of this stuff uh, uh, outside of mental health, just from a general education perspective, too much as it is. So if we're just going to throw a bunch of jargony words at them or like try to teach them concepts, 
it's hard. It's hard to expect them to learn that. So uh, to a degree, I think letting them live a little bit more life mm-hmm. and then just guiding and modeling right behavior when those life situations come up. To me, that's the best learning experience because it's hands-on and you're in the moment and you're seeing it happen live as opposed to reading off a page. Yeah, um, I agree. And I mean, and this is coming from my perspective, but the majority of people that I that that I work with really benefit from experiential learning and really benefit from modeling. They don't benefit from listening to a teacher retaining the information. Part of what they're working through is that they can't do that. Mm -hmm. So those two lessons that they get are almost meaningless because they're not able to really retain the information and they would do far better to be able to like be dysregulated a teacher come over to them and say, I notice you're feeling off. Is it frustration? Is it this? And try to help them identify the feeling that, hey, when I feel this way, here are some things that we can do. And like really like it might be painstakingly grueling to like walk them through the process. But for kids that present like that, that's probably the most efficient way. And again, Mm -hmm. this is from my personal experience, but that that's probably the best way to help actually teach that kid. Not okay, they keep acting up or they keep having a trouble. So let's bring somebody in to teach them a lesson on how to behave. That's not going to work. And I I saw it firsthand. It Mm -hmm. didn't really work. Mm -hmm. It really worked when I was working with the kids individually and like doing the same stuff that you could teach teachers how to do. Again, and this is where I want to be cautious and we'll lead into the conversation of like, is this even an appropriate place for the learning to, to take place? But it puts a huge, huge burden on teachers. Huge burden. They are already massively overworked, mm-hmm. underpaid, um, and under un- under-resourced. So to add an additional piece to them, it does feel a little bit unfair. However, I do think it would probably make their jobs easier if they were able to incorporate some of these things. So I think there's a balance that we can have. But um, I definitely think that giving them very, very like surface level skills would be would have a really tremendous impact of their of the rest of their day. Agreed, because they're at the end of the day they're dealing with a large group of young, immature people, and that's yeah. hard enough as it is. <laughs> yeah. I, I would guess that the ten, the tendency of reactions again, not every teacher, but the tendency for most teachers is, you know, one problem, you know, one out of thirty problem remove, right? Go here, go talk to this person, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, as opposed to maybe making it a teachable moment and doing something very subtle in those moments in terms of how to you know, interpret their behavior through the lens of what they might be going through or how to address that in a way that's sort of productive for them, helpful for them, but not embarrassing and helpful yep. for the whole class. Right. That's a delicate thing, right? I, right. But I think it is teachable, um, uh, you know, in terms of the whether it's continuing that, continuing ed or um, doing something a little bit more hands-on for teachers, I would guess, mm-hmm. as opposed to similar to how we talked about kids need less to just read and memorize. Maybe teachers do too. And so doing yep. it in that way um, can certainly be helpful. I mean, this... This all relates to like, you know, what, excuse me, what is the right school schedule for students these days? Because we've seen the physical activity, you know, movement and physical activity has been removed more and more from from school, the typical school day. Um, Sports have become more and more intense. Uh, Expectations from an academic perspective have become more and more intense. And it's almost like we're sort of breeding workaholics i mean it does seem like their schedules um most of the kids i work with anyway are like it's seven days a week basically and Mm -hmm. if they're not here they're there and it's just like they're always on 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 until they're supposed to just fall asleep um and so it makes you it it makes you question you know why are we doing is there a better way to do things i personally think removing some of the you know rote memorization and and just talk at them have them memorize that test taking kind of stuff removing some of that and implementing more physical activity, more mindfulness, more hands-on learning experiences for them to just mm-hmm. interact with their peers. To me, I think that would be 
more helpful on a couple of fronts. One, I think they'd learn more uh, balance when it comes to the mental health side of things or the emotional intelligence side of things. Um, I think they would have more hands-on experiences in, with life and conflict resolution and, and problem resolution in real time with their peers to have to work through that. Um, I think it would reduce burnout because they're kind of doing too much as it is and yeah. frying their brains as it is trying to learn to memorize things. Um, and then I would think it would take pressure off of the teachers to have to so you bring in maybe uh, a little bit less on the teaching front, more on the mental health specialist front, bring them in to kind of do certain things. Now, what that curriculum or, or process would look like, I don't even know. You'd know more about that just mm-hmm. having done that stuff you did with schools. But to me, yeah, I, I think part of what's causing a lot of mental health issues is that we're over, like kids are just overworked. Um, I agree. The expectations of what they're supposed to be doing is way too high. Uh, and I think that, amongst other things, directly correlates to mental health issues. Yeah, I agree. Like free time or unstructured play is like not present. And I can't count uh, how many times I had conversations with parents about like, hey, have them just go to the playground, right? And like practice on being creative and, you know, creating a game with friends. And the number one feedback that I got from parents was there's no kids in the neighborhood anymore. There's Mm -hmm. no kids on the playground anymore because they all have structured activities after school, whether it's sports, whether it's Russian math, whether it's music lessons, whether it's, you know, whatever it happens to be. Their kids are going from like six in the morning, seven in the morning until like five or six at night. That's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. When you're talking later about, than that. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. You're talking about like a seven-year-old. Yeah. So I definitely agree. I think it's a great book. I'm not going to remember the name of the author. It's called Spark and it talks about the importance of yeah. brain health with, with physical movement and exercise mm-hmm. and how we've seen a massive deterioration as like to your point movement from schools has been more and more pushed back recesses are being pulled back um you know less and less time um which i don't agree with um so i definitely think that the schedule is 100 percent a part of it and the the over kids right now are to your point i think that's a great a great point that we're like breeding workaholics yeah. um and then you ask them to like calm down and relax they 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 quite literally don't know how to do that Mm -hmm. because they've never been given an opportunity to do that and one thing that we learned a little bit about at at school it's more of a new thing to to your point about more hands-on stuff is there's um, it's called pbl or project-based learning which is like here's the problem there's no guidance no instructions no anything it's just this is a problem that we have and we need you to solve it Mm -hmm. and i was one of the most and i took a course on it um at school because I was fascinated by it. It was one of the most incredible experiences that me as an, as an educator at the time, um, went through. It was like, wait, I need, I need like, tell me what I'm supposed to do. I need more. Like, what is all this? And it was just like, no, figure it out. And that was one. I think that kids need more of that, more opportunities to be like, okay, we need to, we need to build a gym, a new gym, figure it out. Well, without supervision, no supervision, at least not hands-on supervision, right? It's just like, Hey, collaborate, work together, problem solve. Absolutely. And like giving minimal, information and letting them be creative of how that happens. And I did a couple of groups um, with kids when I was at schools and I was fascinated and like blown away by the amount of creativity when I would just give them like a short, quick little prompt and be like, figure this out. And when you give them like the access to being creative, they can be creative. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, schools were designed back in like, you know, we're still sort of stuck in the 1950s where it was very yeah, much totally. industrialization, like sit still all day, do yeah. a task, ask to go to the bathroom, walk in lines. Yeah. Like it's very much still like, you know, we're at the steel mill, which which we're not anymore. It's That's not how the world works Great anymore. point. The economy is totally different. Totally and, and different. And what, what really sets up You don't need kid, information. You can have, you have your phone for facts exactly. now. You don't need to memorize things and anymore. And that's not how the working world works anyway. No. It's not about like at what point, I talked to a lot of people about this, like at what point in the working world are you tasked with reading X amount of pages, memorizing the content, <laughs> and taking a test on it. 
that doesn't mimic real life at all. Uh, even from a general economic perspective in terms of right. most jobs, let alone how, you know, this the sort of tech-related specialized economy has shifted and will even more shift so even more in the, in the next 10 to, to 15, 20 years. Yeah. You know, we're not, I don't think we're setting people up, young people up for success based on what they're learning. Uh, that's wasted time when they could be learning how to problem solve and uh, sort of, you know, being placed in positions where their their brain and creativity can really go in the right directions mm-hmm. to me so that's from a general learning perspective and then you know in terms of the the content or topics of what they're exposed to we've talked a lot about how there's and i don't think this is necessarily on the schools um but there's a lot of holes in what a school is teaching mm-hmm. um you know that really more relate to setting a kid up to become an adult that's self-sufficient and and motivated and creative and and driven in the right ways but balanced that kind of thing whether that's you know, emotional intelligence, financial literacy, oh, yeah. you know, we've talked a lot about that. And that, I think, is an area where when it comes to the concept of learning or education, you know, I would encourage people listening to, to recognize, this is especially the case for people who you know, have ADHD or who, like, for whatever reason, their, you know, high school and or college, typically high school, middle school and high school ruins the concept of learning for them. So they associate learning with school. Yeah, and that was me. Yeah, it's a lot of people. And yeah. it's not... Learning is not school. School is one uh, forced, uh, non-voluntary aspect of, of learning or one approach <laughs> right. to learning, but it's not the only approach. And I think if you let school ruin learning for you, you miss out on so many amazing things. I mean, I think to me, when high school ends or for people that go to college, when college ends, that's when the learning should begin. That's when it's about taking it upon yourself to find the right sources of information that interest you and that you're passionate about. Yep. And you know, starting small, because I think when you start something new, it's very taxing. It's emotionally draining, or, or physically and psychological draining, when you're learning something that you're you're, you're never you've never been exposed to before. Right. Um, it can be difficult in the beginning. You know, you people. I get this all the time with guys I work with who want to start teaching themselves more. They're in their late teens, early twenties, mid twenties, and they want to start learning about financial literacy. They want to start learning about real estate investing, and all these different kinds of things. And they start reading, and they you know, school taught them to hate reading. <laughs> and then they like they read a page every five minutes and they and they lose track and then yeah. they like five pages goes by and they have to restart. They get so frustrated that they give up. And reality reading, especially reading, is is a skill and mm-hmm. it's something that you have to sharpen over time and it gets much, much easier as you keep going. Um, but you have to keep going. You know, you have to push yeah. through it's never gonna be as hard as it is when you first start. That's actually the hardest it's ever gonna be. Great point. Um and I think you push through that and you expose yourself to more you know, you'd be so, people can accomplish so many things when they expose themselves to lifelong learning, and I think that's something that's so important. It's one of like the pillars of like stuff that I talk about with with everybody is yeah. like you've got to you've got to start reading, get yep. into writing. Like these are two things that you can start doing now, yeah. and it's the same thing. It's, I hate they, reading. They, yeah. I hate reading. Yeah. I can't, I, or I hate writing. And it's like, well, have you ever written anything that you've like had an interest in? Or you know, you, you know there's mo- there's multiple forms of reading, and it might sound weird, but like for me. I used to kill myself finishing books that I hated. I don't waste my time anymore. Mm-hmm. I annotate now, so I used to not do that because I'm classic read read a few pages and have no, and then like my mind has wandered off somewhere else yep. and being like, shoot, where am I? And I have to yeah. go back and reread. Yep. So annotating helps with that. I think that if you, and then also just the content that I was learning, the books that I was given when I was in middle school and high school, I had very little interest in in actually wanting to learn, mm-hmm. and it just turned me off to it. Exactly. Um, and I never really, it was just this is the way that you read, and I was never presented different different options of like, well, you could also read this way, or you can also do it, go about doing it this way. And I had to figure that stuff out after after school. Yeah. But you made a great point that it will never be as hard as when you first start. Yeah. So you just have to keep keep at it and once you refall in love or fall in love for the first time with reading it, it is pretty 
life altering yeah. and you start to like it, you start to really benefit from the education and why learning is so important and being like a forever learner we hear people talk about it all the time and then you actually dive in and start doing it and you realize what they're talking about absolutely absolutely and there there are a lot of athletes that we've covered that seem to be lifelong learners i think uh indomagan is, is a yeah. current football player who's like got some great stuff on twitter about financial literacy financial freedom he's clearly someone that is always exposing himself to new bits of information trying to learn um, Kevin Durant's probably someone who, who's yeah. he's really into investing and he's always on the cutting edge of, of culture and, and tech and things like that. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal is someone who has like been very wise with his money. <laughs> yeah. Um, pretty cool. Some pretty cool stories yeah. about him and what he's done, uh, from an investing perspective. Um, Justin Forsett is someone we've talked about on a past episode. He used to play in the NFL, uh, on, you know, sort of undersized, underrated, um, you know, running back who has started his own business post NFL mm-hmm. career. Um, the list goes on. There's a lot of athletes. Anyone that you can think of off the top of your head? I was going to say Gronkowski. That might sound kind of funny, but he's in terms of financial literacy, he's got he's he's gotten that figured out um, and has done a bunch of stuff. And he's talked a little bit about like his process for that. So you can tell you might not think of him as like a lifelong learner on the surface of it because he's kind of a goof. But if you've, I mean, we're Patriots fans, so you've got to see the progression of him. He's way different now than he was when he was when he first came on. So yeah, and he's someone who. Like you said, I mean, on the surface, you're like, like, come a, on, John, like <laughs> give me a break. It's like, all right, but this dude never paid attention in school at all. Exactly, right. which yeah. I think he talks about, like admits, like, but yeah. again, you don't have to pay attention in school to learn. Right. I think that's why, like, he's he's a great example of someone who, you know, it seems like just decided to not pay attention to things that he did <laughs> decided were not worth his while or he didn't find yeah. interesting. Which uh, that's okay, right? Right. especially if you have. Now, if you got if you want football to get fall back on, it makes it a little bit different. You got to push through and get the grades you need. Right. I think he still did. Like, who knows how how easy they make it when you're uh, you know an athlete that might go to the NFL. But um, he's someone who clearly has bought into learning in his own time. When it comes to money management, financial freedom, he's super smart. Mm-hmm. And even his goofy attitude, I think that's him leaning into himself and his general personality. While you know, clearly, any it seems like if you read it, uh, read between the lines from a, a football perspective, he's extremely intelligent. And from a, you know, maybe non-academic, but general parts of life, financial freedom, other things, a brand creation. Very bright. Very, very bright. Very, very yeah. skilled person when it comes to understanding uh, how people work and how to use his strengths to create good. And he does mm-hmm. a lot of stuff in the community, too, and a lot of volunteer yeah. things. So, yeah, um, there's some great examples here. I mean, we'll, we'll probably come up with a bigger list, but there's a lot of athletes who embody the concept of lifelong learning. And uh, lifelong le- long learning, or like what I would call ABL, or always be learning, is something mm-hmm. I definitely try to impart to the people I work with because... Yeah. It, it, the number, the two things, in my opinion, three things, in my opinion, that relate to success. Now, again, it depends on how you define success. No one defines it the same. So regardless of how you define it, the, the three things that go into su- success, in my opinion, are learning, being a lifelong learner, work ethic, and continuously putting, you know, going based on process, not results, right? Holding yourself accountable to a process and always be working hard. And luck. I think a lot of luck goes into things, whether it's who you know or where you were born or whatever. There's a lot of things click at the right time. There's a lot of luck that goes into things. So luck you can't control, but work ethic and always being learning, those two things you can control. And so for anyone that wants to make progress in life, and it's not going to happen overnight, but I think if you commit to learning and you commit to work ethic, good things will always happen, even if luck isn't always on your side on any given short span. Yeah, I agree. And to, to your point, luck only occurs when you're prepared. Very true. Right? So if you're not... yourself in a position to benefit from the luck. Yep. Exactly. So yeah, certainly like luck happens and things yeah. like that. But if you're not prepared for that moment, then it will go 
as a, as a, and it would be a failure, right? Or it'd be called like a setback or things like that. But preparation is the key to unlocking luck, um, which we all experience. But that's, you know, to the point that we've been making, you know, for every episode pretty much of the importance of talking about this type of stuff. This is all preparation of helping you when those moments come that you're prepared to deal with it. Absolutely. And a lot of people will, a lot of people will use the, uh, they were just lucky as a way to justify their own inaction, mm-hmm. makes themselves feel better. But you're totally right that even when luck happens, if you didn't do all the hard work that came in the first nine stages out of 10 to put yourself in a position to benefit from luck, then it wouldn't have meant anything anyway. It would right. never happen because of your hard work. So it's a combination of those things. It's mm-hmm. the, it's the hard work, it's the learning and it's the luck combined. Um, without those three things happening si- sort of simultaneously, you know, you're not you're going to remain stuck. And I think that's yep. where a lot of people, you know, if you want to get unstuck, you have to take it, you know, into your own hands and really put in the work because it does happen. Yeah, uh, it's great. gradual, but it does happen. One might say someone needs a little grim drive. Yeah, they, they might say that. John. Might need a little they, grim drive. They might say grim yeah. drive could help. Um, <laughs> and I think grim drive again. We we talk about the balance between. Um, being having grim drive but not being grimly driven right that's like the balance we try to find with people uh it does not happen overnight like learning something new it is hard to develop a work ethic some people are born with it most people aren't i think it's about making the choice to want to build up right like the analogy i like to give is like if you if you eventually want to get to the point where you're working a side hustle you're working 80 hours a week like you're not going to start from unemployment to 80 hours a week right you're going to start with a part-time job maybe maybe even a full-time job you start with but it's hard because it Going from not working to working forty hours a week is yeah, actually you got to build stamina. Yeah. Yeah, build stamina. Yeah. Uh, you got to get the lay of the land and the people. We've talked about that in past episodes. You know, it can take three months, six months to really yeah. uh, assimilate to that uh, everyday hustle kind of process, and then you start building on top of that and you work your way up to eighty hours a week if that's what you want. I mean, I think if you're doing what you love, then eighty hours a week doesn't sound that bad. If you're mm-hmm. doing what you hate, then eighty hours a week is is pretty Sucks. miserable. Um, so I think that's we'll probably end there for today. Um, want to you know thank everyone for listening to this episode of the Grim Drive podcast uh, for this discussion about mental health and education. We'll be back next week. Thanks everybody.